me. This is a podcast about hypnosis, transformation, and healing. And this is Dr. Liz, your host. It is Friday on the weekend before September 11th when I'm recording this intro. And Hurricane Irma is headed towards South Florida, which is where I live. Everybody is pretty much on edge. I was up half the night with anxiety, just worrying. Um, my children are safe. They went with their dad up to North Carolina, but I am staying here in South Florida. And listening to this interview that I did with John Harrison was just such a lovely reminder of staying present, staying grounded, of using hypnosis to reduce anxiety, and a nice reminder of tuning into the breath. We also talk about other things as well, like respect of the client when they come in to somebody's office and the development of the trust that happens so that people can step into change and can step into feeling more emotionally free, feeling like they do have the ability to release and cry and let go and work on what they came in to work on. So it's a really good part of the interview. I did want to just take a moment of silence here in remembrance of September 11th. So I'm going to do that and then we'll jump into the interview. So hi, John. Welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. Hey, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. Let's jump in with the question that I ask all my guests, which is, what was your first experience with hypnosis? Well, I'm thinking it was, it was 2009. It's been a few years, and it was with a colleague of mine. He was telling me about his certification. He was getting certified in, in hypnosis. And um, he said, would you be up for some regression work? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, So we set up the time and uh, met him at his, at his office. And, uh, and we went from there. It was just a really interesting experience because it had – it really showed me some things about hypnosis that I didn't know and then also kind of – shot down a lot of fallacies that I thought about what that process was like. So it was kind of a dual uh, kind of um, experience for me. So it was, it was really cool, though. So what did it teach you that you didn't know? Well, I'm, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people or maybe you yourself have thought this before where y you see things on TV or you see sh the shows where people are getting hypnotized on stage. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, so I'm thinking, am I going to be unconscious? Um, am I going to remember this? Even though I asked him all these questions beforehand and he said, yeah, you're going to you're going to be aware and you're going to remember. So uh, what I had discovered was that uh, I was very much intact, but there was a filter missing. <laughs> that's uh, it was kind of like my my busy mind, I think, was probably the best way to put it. And that that's 
that's the first few things that I noticed whether that was gone, that busy mind was gone. Oh, okay, gotcha. The busy mind was gone. So that's what you see as a filter, like that busy mind constantly yeah. filtering everything out. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty analytical um, whether or not I want to be or, or not. So uh-huh. my mind is constantly, yeah, right? My, my mind is constantly going and um, I just felt very, very focused and serene at the same time. Once I was under, um, at the, he did a countdown with me. So I was under the countdown and I, I just remember feeling this like almost like a, like a uh, clarity kind of, kind of come in. Mm-hmm. It was really, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. But it was, the point is, it was, it was, there was, it was nothing like I thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, there were, there were no like, you know, bells and whistles and different things kind of happening. Like I'd seen on, you know, some comedy shows or wherever else you see that's you see the hypnosis on TV. Mm-hmm. And regression work for the audience is when they, the hypnotherapist takes you back to a point in time. So was he taking you back to a particular point in time or was this just more like open, let's explore? Yeah, we, I remember going back to a certain point in time and the, the question was prompted by um, – something that was happening in my life right now that was causing me some distress. Mm -hmm. And once I identified the person in my life that this was during my grad school uh, experience. And I think I I identified a professor that I had that, and it wasn't even like he was doing anything purposefully, just his personality was bringing, was triggering me in many ways. Uh, So anyway, the, the regression work came in where he asked me to try to remember my first experience where I felt that or had experienced someone doing that to me or seeing someone else do it to someone else or, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's what I went back to. So, I mean, going back, it would have gone probably into my, uh, early teens or late adolescent years, like, or, you know, just the 12, 13, mm-hmm. 10, 11, like the middle school, the, those terrifying middle school years. Yes. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So after that experience, did you find that the professor didn't trigger you anymore? You interacted differently? Like what was the result of that? I think it just broadened my understanding of myself, but also in context with other people. And so I think it was my first experience of actually tangibly being able to put put my finger on what it was like to be triggered and why that was happening. So it just broadened my context mm. of self. Uh-huh. Um, so the professor would, would do the same things that he would do. And basically just, just, he, he was just, I get triggered around very like, uh, analytical types. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so in school, you know, you're going to run into people who are very smart. Yes. And a lot of times being around people who wanted exact answers and I didn't have them, I wouldn't raise my hand and then I would get some type of consequence from not speaking up in uh-huh. school, uh, depending on the class or, or, or whatever. And I felt intimidated. Um, so as I would, I, I would, uh, I can't remember what exact class I had with them. I think it was supervision or some type of supervisory class. And I just had more of a context. I didn't, I didn't take things so personally. <laughs> that, oh. 
yeah. That was kind of the end result of it. Yeah. I mean, I could still feel it. I could still, and I could still witness and observe my, my underlying reaction, but it wasn't like I let it sink in to a point where it was deep, where mm-hmm. I would actually be behaving around it or reacting to it emotionally. Okay. So it took some of that like emotional punch out of it for you, where you could step back from it some and say, hey, this, yeah. this may not even be about me really. Well, you said that really well. I mean, this, is, this isn't necessarily about me, but can I, can I witness my own process in this too? Like, oh, what if I gave attention to my, to my body or to my heartbeat or to my breathing instead of trying to figure out how this person's going to you know, put me on the spot potentially and how am I going to react to that and kind of living through <laughs> yeah. fear yeah. instead of, well, hey, let's just kind of pay attention to what's going on in my body. And I found that to be a lot more calming. Um, which in, and the breath work was another part of the hypnosis too. So that, that kind of gave me a good context for that. Mm-hmm. So you learned some of the breath work just by the process of hypnosis. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I, I, the induction, this was before I think I was doing my, my meditation. Um, mm-hmm. so this was like 2009. I, I probably started my, my meditation, uh, routine probably like 2012, okay. 2013. So the, the breathing, the relaxing, the counting down, all that stuff, paying attention to my breathing. He had me do a lot of sensate focused kind of, um, what, is it, what does it feel like to breathe in and pause and breathe out? And so that kind of got me into the hypnotic state there as well. I just remember feeling that like, oh, that was awesome. Maybe I should try that more often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. and, it feels uh, good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was great. And, and he had another, he did another uh technique with me that I, I really liked. He had me recall like a part of myself or try to get in touch with a part of myself that was very much grounded and strong and comforting. Mm -hmm. And if I could put a, a shape or a face or a name to that part of myself. And once I was in contact with that side of myself, he had me do a handhold. So I clasped my hands a certain way. Um, and I can't really demonstrate it here because I can't do it through audio, but I had like kind of interlocked my fingers and that mind body association. Then I would then use to try to bring another, uh, like sense of calmness or, you know, groundedness to me when I was feeling unnerved or anxious or whatever the case might be. So I was doing that in combination with my breathing. So I could do that in class. I could do that, um, in other situations or environments that I was noticing, I was losing, um, you know, some sense of calmness or, or groundedness. So that's the other part I, I really remember, which was, which was really cool and very handy. And I actually still, I still do that to, to, to this day. There's no pun intended. Very handy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I didn't even realize I did that, but yeah. It was, well, this wonderful. He gave you an anchor you know, what we call that is like a certain hand position or something to bring you back to that state of calm and groundedness and tuning into the body so that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what he called it too. I remember that it's like an an anchor. Mm -hmm. So did you just have the one session with him or did you have multiple? Yeah, I just had the one session with him and I got a lot out of it. And I think that was probably 
probably my main motivation to get into doing my meditation and and trying to stay consistent with that. And I had done some meditation groups and workshops after that. Um, for me personally, that's probably the best way to describe that state, you know. And maybe the, you know you could also say there's self hypnosis and meditation and mm-hmm. and 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 body scanning and whatnot. So that was probably the really the, the strongest predecessor to to me being just inspired and motivated to do that. And that's helped me tremendously. Wonderful. So it's really this first experience with, okay, I have a specific way to calm myself, to ground myself. And now I can learn other ways as well. Yeah, it, it it's an upfront thing. So you're, you're facing things you normally wouldn't face, face. And, and I'll, maybe I'll just speak for myself because mm-hmm. if that, rational mind is intact it's going to protect you it's going to want to get you to avoid certain things and experiences and memories and the hypnosis experience was well i i feel safe Mm -hmm. i'm in a safe place let's do some work on this and it was like i remember crying a lot Mm -hmm. and that i just and i remember having a thought as i was crying like wow this is really easy to cry. Usually I don't cry this easy. Mm-hmm. And it was like having someone draw that out of me in a very uh, comforting way, mm-hmm. so to speak. And I was just, just remember having this thought of like, this is really strange. Like it's almost like <laughs> if this person was pulling emotion out of me and it felt so good because I needed to process, I needed to release. Mm-hmm. And then also having another thought of, this wouldn't normally happen because I would stop myself from going that direction. Okay. So even, even in like talk therapy, let's say that you were doing, Uh which is also a very safe environment. Sure. There's a part of yourself that would, I'm assuming not always, but sometimes just stop yourself from going to that deeper emotional level. It gets better with practice. You get mm-hmm. to trust yourself more, but I can still feel it. I can still feel it. So I, yeah, I've been seeing a traditional therapist for several years and there's still like a double check, you know, like your mind goes, it, you can just feel it being active. And then it's gotten better. I mean, I, I, I'm more, much more okay with emoting now than I used to be. Um, but at, at the time, you know, yeah, <laughs> well, the, I imagine that, because... You come from a military background, right? You sp- I don't yeah. how long did you spend in the military? Well, I spent 8 years in the military. 8 years. Okay, which Yeah, but emotion is not know, really emphasized. <laughs> no, you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to go tell people your deepest problems and cry in front of them. That's just not Right, yeah. <laughs> not what you want to do. <laughs> Sorry, get kicked out, right? <laughs> but, no, I'm kidding. But, but there's a con- there's a con- there's a conditioning and mm-hmm. um So I imagine that's a long time of conditioning, like eight years. And I, I think, too, growing up a male in this society, there's certainly some conditioning that goes with that. Well, that's the strongest thing. It's not even the military itself. I mean, it's it's just the society. It's just what you learn. You mm-hmm. just learn it. And you don't, you don't know any different. So at this point in my life now, I've got kids. I've got other responsibilities. I've got all these things going on. I mean, there's certain things that I used to do that just don't serve me anymore. So it's kind of mm-hmm. cost-benefit analysis in many ways. It's like, all right, well, let's just get over the hump and just deal with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not try to manage it because I just don't have the energy, time, or strength anymore to do. So it's 
it, it's kind of naturally kind of happened where I, I'm much more cognizant of my own blocks as they come up mm-hmm. and then meeting and greeting them and then working around or through them. So they just become part of the process instead of a, instead of a barrier. But yeah, I mean, sure. For years and years and years, it's like, Whoa, if I cry, does that mean I'm weak? Does that mean I'm weird or crazy or right, what happens yeah. if I don't stop crying? What happens if I stop, start crying and I can't stop and I have to drive home in like a puddle of tears, you know, like these thoughts, these <laughs> yes. thoughts that go through my head. Yes. And many people's head, that's a big fear that people have. If I start crying, I can't stop. It's not going to stop. I'm just going to go and go and go. Yeah. Well, it's a loss of control or the fear thereof. And so, that, yeah, I do think that's normal. One of the first things I noticed in the hypnosis that I did, um, that I've been talking about was that. I was nervous, even though I didn't really have a reason to be nervous. And I, I knew that, but as he began to count down, I began to feel more and more anxiety. And my mind was saying, why are you anxious? And my body's tensing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm feeling, I'm feeling like almost panic, you know? And, and, and I say that, and I don't know if that's a, that's a normal response or maybe that was just my response, but when he got to like four or five on the countdown of 10, it just totally lifted. And I felt this release and then I felt more peace and calm and centeredness. But for sure, some level of my being was fighting the loss of control because I was about to give it up. Oh, interesting. I was about, I was about, yeah, I was about to say, hey, you can have me and my emotions and let's just see what happens. And that was terrifying to some part of my being. Uh-huh. My body really reacted to it, so. Yeah, and I do find that with some people that sometimes they can't get past that hump. You know, it's like, no, it's too threatening to release some of that control. Too intense, yeah. Yes, it's too intense. The vast majority of them can because there's a process before that where they decide, okay, this is going to be helpful and I'm going to call somebody and I'm going to check them out and you know, there's a whole process before they even come in your office. Uh, sure. This sure. is maybe what it, what it's like, but sometimes it's still a process of, all right, you've never done this before. Let's go into it and see what it's like for you. Generally they can come overcome it, but occasionally someone needs some, what I call practice sessions, quote unquote, like let's just do mm-hmm. brief practice here and see what happens. And then you get to be more comfortable with it. And then perhaps the next time you can feel more comfortable letting go of that control. So that's fascinating to hear you talk about it. Like as it's, as it was going on, like, oh my gosh, here we go. Here we go. It was fascinating. Um, after the fact, it wasn't fascinating in the moments. I was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) But really, you know, being on the other side of that experience and, and, and being on the other side during during my own therapy, it's really helped uh, broaden my understanding of the process and its total. And I, I remember that experience of trying to let it give up control and that, that helps me greater, um, relate to my clients. So I understand them so that I know, Hey, this might seem easy to me. I do this all day long or I talk to people all day long or I listen to the problems, be it, normal, average, weird, or crazy, or whatever you want to term it. And But to this person and this very moment, it's their stuff. And like it's very, very 
it can be very, very scary for them to want to give in and, and release some control of that to share. So I just have to remember that because like you had mentioned, that's a, that's a big part of the process for a lot of people and just work with them at their pace. It's always got to go at their pace when they're ready, give them a little bit of a nudge when they need to, and, you know, just kind of see where it goes from there. Yes. Agreed. And it's very much a part of the process of regulars slash traditional psychotherapy. I think it's a good point that you made of going in to see someone and feeling safe to talk about your stuff and putting that out there. And there's so much fear of judgment around it. And what are they going to think of me? And all, you know, all of these processes that go on that take time to build trust so that someone does feel comfortable sharing and letting go some of their, what they're dealing with, what they're working on and their feelings as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure you know this too. And it, when people have a, tra- a trauma background in terms of being um, violated or be it physically, emotionally, or, or whatever the case might be, that's extremely difficult for them. Mm-hmm. And the brain is just doing its job by saying, no, <laughs> you're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. We're going to put up a block here. Even if their intention is, I want to, I want to, I want to, you know, the, the mind has to also follow along at some point so it can it can begin to um, begin to kind of give in a little bit and, and to ease up so that that process for people can take quite a long time and I my experiences with clients is that I now know not to judge too quickly on terms of what someone's potential is because I've had clients that it could be six weeks to two months before I really see a, a consistent shift in their ability to to um, disclose. But I know that when they come every week or every other week, I know that that intention is there and I just hang with them as long as I can. And, uh, and, and, you know, their, their, their turning point can just be different from someone else's. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes hypnosis is helpful to help them along in that process. And sometimes it's not appropriate. So I'm going to say that too. Like it's, it's, it's not always appropriate technique, particularly when you're talking about trauma, but often it can be helpful to say, okay, you know, let's work through some of this where it doesn't trigger you as much, where it's like bypassing that brain part, mm-hmm. really, those stops that automatically come up so that you can work through it more easily. But yeah, it's right. You have to, it's client by client you can't make a, a blanket statement around that. It's definitely right. individual. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, as you're as you're talking, I I was I just had this vision of like a you ever played Jenga? Uh huh. Well, you know, you play you're taking the pieces out from the support of the the structure, but you're not going to take out the piece that that topples it. Right. You're going to be working along the the path of least resistance in the blocks, so you can continue to build them. You know, if I'm working with a client or um, I'm going to guess, you know, you're working with a client, you aren't going to always feel like you have to hit the core issues. Maybe um, it's something a little bit more on like a scale of a four to five or six as opposed to a nine or a 10. And that can actually create momentum. So eventually those core issues can be a lot more easy, easy to process and digest through. It's just not like a, a linear thing where we're just going right at the hardest thing. 
so you can feel better automatically. Like we need to take our time and be diligent about what we're actually doing to help the person do it as I say painless, but as with the least you know potential repercussions as possible. Oh yeah, definitely. It's a much larger noise if you topple the Jenga tower on the first time or two, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's big <laughs> versus like and plus you, and, you, and plus you just feel bad. <laughs> you do. Yeah, <laughs> you feel bad because the game's over too soon, and you're like, "Oh, look! Now we have to <laughs> right. now we have to start over." <laughs> yeah, so definitely, you're not taking out those bottom pieces that are going to make right. the whole thing crash down, right? You yeah, and, 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 I, and, I, and absolutely, and I got a sense of that with my with my friend who was doing the, the regression work with me was he had asked me to do something. I think it was, uh, really some type of release of, he'd asked me to maybe like release some resentment or some anger towards a specific individual. And I, I, I just wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. And he just, he asked me a few times and he said, okay, well, it's just not time yet. That's okay. And I just remember being really, really appreciative of him giving me the permission to be like, yeah, it is okay. I don't, I don't have to like forgive right now if I don't want to. And that was, that just for me built more trust into the whole process. So then now I feel a bit more relaxed. I feel a bit more in control. And then maybe the next thing we talk about as we concluded the session went a little bit more smoothly just because he gave me the, me the permission to, to just be how I needed to be in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so every little, every little bit matters. Yes. There's always this, this function, this protective function that is going on that sometimes people aren't really ready to release that yet. They're not, or they don't have the skills to replace that sometimes. I was at a uh, hypnosis conference where someone was brave enough to say that they smoke, right, in front of a room of like full of certified hypnotherapists, right, <laughs> which is unusual. So he goes up to the front. He's like, well, do you want to work on that? The presenter and the guy says, yes. And he was very respectful of him. And it did come down to like, are you ready to give this up yet? And he said, no, I'm really not. Like it still served a function for him. So he got to work on it some. I'm imagining that he decreases usage some because that he was ready to do. He wasn't quite ready to give up the whole endeavor yet. So it's it's a similar process. It's always very respectful of perhaps you're ready, perhaps you're not, but you get to decide that. Like me, the hypnotherapist, I'm not deciding that for you. You get to do that. And that's the same in traditional talk therapy as well. Yeah, that's that's a really great example. I, that's so healing. I mean, it's it's really goes counter to a lot of what goes on in our own minds, or can go on in our minds. The dialogue of well, you have to, you should, you ought to, yes. you need to, and to be given permission to say you're okay right where you're at, and when you're ready, you can choose. Yeah, that's so healing just to hear someone else give you that <laughs> because. Until you learn how to do it for yourself, we really do as individuals, we need to have other people model that for us and, and in some ways give us that permission. I remember, um, you know, working with my therapist on those issues and it like, it just feels so nice to hear. It's very, very impactful. Yes. And we don't always get modeled that. 
And I, I think part of that too is you're changing so much as a child, as a teen growing up that often there is a sense of like, oh my gosh, you have to do this or you should do that. Or, you know, all of those messages that we get when we're younger in when we're older too, like how many, you know, advertisements to stop smoking say you should, right? <laughs> I haven't ever seen one that right. says when you're ready. Yeah, then, no, it's you know, <laughs> when you're ready, then it will happen for you. Like never. Right? So No, it's it's always, yeah, stop being a, a dirty bum and quit smoking and exactly. you know, join, join the rest of society. <laughs> right. That, right. Or you that's... should set goals or you should do this or all of that kind of language that that doesn't come into a therapist's often office often. The, yeah. Generally the therapist's office is you're okay where you are. Let's see how we can help you feel better when you're ready and work through things when you're ready and we'll go at your pace. Hypnosis is the same way. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I totally agree with that. That's, that's so well put. Yeah. I like the smoking analogy a lot. That's cool. Yeah. We're coming to the end of our time here, but I did want people to know about your podcast because I love your podcast and I think it's just so needed in the world. Yeah, absolutely. So the true calling project is a podcast. It's, it's available on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, all the, um, you know, the normal kind of uh, podcast players you can find and those being the main two. And you can also find it on my website at lifemadeconscious.com. Um, there's a, a category there for the podcast itself, True Calling Project. And the podcast, it's, it's I think we started our, our projects around the same time, mm-hmm. uh, Elizabeth. I'm pretty sure we did. And so it's coming up on a year and basically... The content is around interviewing guests and experts and other people um, talking about their life aspirations and their passions. And also, it's just basically how can we change the world by doing the things we love to do? Mm -hmm. And how can we make an impact by allowing ourselves to fully express and whether that's through career or through some type of hobby or whatever it is that you, you feel like you need to do for you and also understand that you're having a real impact on the world and changing the world when you do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When there's a connected sense of meaning, when you are following your true calling, whether that's hobby or work, then it's definitely an impact on the world around you. Sure. And if you could get paid for it, then you've really probably hit that blissful zone, right? (laughs) Yeah, most of the time. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Most of the time. (laughs) Yeah. Can people find you at that website if they'd like to work with you in Cincinnati? You're outside of Cincinnati or right in Cincinnati? Yeah, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like maybe 10 minutes away from downtown. So yeah, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, lifemidconscious.com and um, you can send me an email or uh, you find other information about my practice there. Well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time. Oh, it's been fun. It's been great talking with you and I really appreciate you having me on.
What I loved about this interview is John's real sense of how hypnosis helped him feel more emotionally free. And also the discussion around readiness to change. Not everybody is ready to change at every moment, right? We sometimes have this fantasy that we're going to step into hypnosis or therapy and boom, everything's going to be fixed and gone. But we know that it doesn't always happen that way. Occasionally that happens, but it's often a process of feeling more comfortable, of developing trust, of trusting even yourself to be able to express yourself and your feelings and having that accepted by the therapist or the hypnotherapist. So I thought that was a lovely part of the interview, as well as the discussion around how hypnosis helped him feel more centered and more expressive in his life. So I hope you really enjoyed that. I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. I may be out of power for several weeks in South Florida. So there may be a little break in the podcast, but I will be back to it as soon as I can be. So be well, people. Peace. If you like this episode, do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe on whatever player you like, or even better, tell a friend so that more and more people learn about hypnosis and how it can be helpful for them. If you want to know more about me, head over to drlizhypnosis.com. That's D-R-L-I-Z, hypnosis.com. You can see the downloads and see if there's one that's helpful for your life. Or you could also join the newsletter and get a couple of free files as well as lots of good content. I've written a newsletter for well over 10 years. Go ahead and subscribe and join the rest of the world. All right, people, have a wonderful week.